Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 116 of my podcast for March 22nd, 2011. My guest today is a returning guest and thankfully a rather frequent guest over the last couple of years, Jim Womack. He was the founder and chairman of the Lean Enterprise Institute. He's now in the role of senior advisor to the Institute with John Shook taking over as CEO. We're going to be talking today about Jim's most recent book published by LEI called Gemba Walks. It's a compilation of his 100 email newsletters over the last 10 years or so. And they've been uh, edited a bit. They've been reframed, resequenced, grouped into themes with some additional commentary and new essays. Uh, it, it makes for a really uh, nice little book um, that you can uh, hopefully pick up and take a look at. So we're going to be talking about the book. We're going to be talking about gimbal walks, uh, what they are, how they differ from management by walking around. We're going to be talking about some of Jim's most memorable gimbal walks. Uh, we'll talk about lean healthcare, all sorts of other topics. And this is actually the first of two parts where Jim will come back. Uh, we've actually recorded it. Um, part two of a podcast where we talk about the automotive industry, Six Sigma and other topics will be coming back out in a couple of weeks. So you can check for that and all past episodes. You can subscribe at leanpodcast.org. Jim, thanks for joining us and taking time to talk today on the podcast. Well, thank you. So we're going to talk today about your most recent book published by LEI, Gemba Walks. And I was wondering if you could tell the story behind uh, publication of the book and, and what's been added to the essays or e-letters um, you know, that were previously published. I started this last fall because I was going to step down as head of LEI. It was a bit of a house-cleaning uh, activity. I had uh, turned out exactly 100 of these e-letters that had been sent between uh, fall of uh, 2001 and the end of uh, 2010, and I thought, for the record, uh, just bundle them up, uh, get a copying machine, and uh, you know, uh, get them, give them a place to live on the shelf. As I got into it, I realized that this was really the record of thinking about what's happened to Lean in the now 15 years since the Lean Thinking book that Dan Jones and I did was uh, published. And there was really a lot here. And in addition, it fit nicely into some themes. And if you took each of the essays and then having reflected on them, threw half of them away because they were just uh, of the moment, and took the other 50, uh, ran them through a reman, uh, remanufacturing operation to get them uh, fixed. Uh, it turns out you're never in retrospect as clear as a writer as you thought you were at the time you wrote so that I would find myself puzzling over sentences I had written 10 years earlier saying, hmm, wonder what I meant. So there's no attempt to uh, add content to these essays, but uh, sometimes to take out some topical things that were no longer relevant, but also just to fix them so they're easier to read. But that was the least of it. Then I had to organize them. I thought chronology at first, and then I said, well, gosh, there's some clear themes here. I talk about purpose. I talk about process. I talk about people, talk about transformation, talk about diffusion, talk about management, talk a whole lot about management and leadership. So let me organize them by themes. Let me write a little essay at the front of each theme. Let me stitch the essays together, having some language that gets you from one to the next. Uh, let me introduce the collection. And then at the very end, uh, in a section called Hopeful Hansei, 
let me talk about where the community uh, goes from here. It's not where LEI goes from here. That's not really the point, but where the lean community goes. Uh, as uh, John Shook comes on as a new leader, and as I uh, go into my senior advisor mode, which doesn't mean I've gone anywhere, but does mean that um, I will be doing some different things. So you, you mentioned that senior advisor role. Um, what, what does that entail? I mean, people are, I'm sure, curious what you're researching or what you're working on right now. Well, perhaps, uh, perhaps they should send in their suggestions. <laughs> Uh, what I've been doing at LEI for years and years was acting as the sort of editorial director. And uh, I didn't write much uh, material at all for LEI. In fact, this is the only uh, book that you really call a book that I've done for LEI. I had done the workbook with Dan Jones, Seeing the Whole. But I've, uh, for years, uh, tried to get books out, and not just books, but other kinds of teaching material, workbooks, and we've done some videos and some, in the old days, some VSM software. So that's a role that still needs somebody to do, and it turns out that might uh, be one of my skills. So I'm working on a half a dozen new products right now, not as the author, uh, not even as the editor, but rather the advisor, the publisher's uh, right hand, to uh, try to figure out what form to give them. Doing a lot of talking now uh, at uh, nonprofit uh, activities, uh, the AMEs and SMEs and uh, other types of activities, that I've always done, but now I can do a little bit more uh, energetically. Uh, before, it was just uh, with my tongue hanging out. Now I've got time to stay and talk to people. Always interested to know what people out in the lean community are doing, what the next challenges are. And then, of course, uh, because writing is addictive. Uh, writing is a drug that has no high. There is no rush, but it's completely addictive. Uh, of course, I have to start working on the next uh, project. And uh, that one is still under wraps, but uh, there's always a next project, so I'm working on that. And uh, otherwise, uh, it turns out uh, you don't need that much more to fill your time. Well, so back to Gemba Walk's the book. And I, I think Gemba, Gemba Walk is probably a familiar term to listeners, but it, it might be worth recapping uh, how a Gemba Walk, as you've done them and as, as you've seen other leaders do it, how that's different than, quote-unquote, management by walking around, as used to be um, kind of trendy. Right. Well, Tom Peters came up with management by walking around. I think, as so many things that Tom Peters came up with, it uh, sort of came and went. Uh, the idea there seemed to be that the senior management ought to be talking directly to customers, directly suppliers, and directly to the shop floor and to the engineer at the screen uh, to find out what was really going on to uh, get new ideas, uh, to deal with the frozen middle um, of those uh, managers in the middle that were clogging everything up and interfering with the desire of uh, just regular folks uh, down at the bottom of the organization to get the job done. Uh, I never could see myself how that was going to make much difference uh, beyond uh, the hour or two hours or day that it took the senior manager to walk because there was really no mechanism for it to uh, lead anywhere. Uh, what I've had in mind with gimbal walks for years is really very different. Uh, look at an organization, pick a couple of their value-creating activities, what we call value streams. It's easiest, of course, to do that in the fulfillment area, which is from order through delivery. And you know, when I say fulfillment, well, I mean production, uh, whether it's a good or a service that you uh, come. Some customer says, "I want it." Uh, you start with the first step in the process of uh, delivering it, which might be raw material or data or something, depending on what kind of uh, activity you're talking about, and follow all the way through with what happens. 
but you can do the same thing in product development activity. You can do the same thing uh, in aftermarket. Uh, after the product is handed to the customer, it needs to be supported, uh, usually through its useful life. What happens when people try to do that? So pick a product family to make it uh, boundable and uh, start at the beginning and go to the end. And as you do that, uh, you're saying, what's really happening here? Because uh, all people who are honest know that in organizations, even in pretty lean organizations, what is actually happening is often not what's supposed to be happening. Uh, The difference, by the way, with a lean organization is that everything is visual and visible, and there are countermeasures being put in place as things uh, happen in the way they're not supposed to, whereas in a lot of organizations, uh, you're supposed to uh, keep problems out of sight, and then, of course, you have all kinds of irregular ways to do things that are not documented because the documented ways don't work. So as you're walking along on Gimbal Walk, uh, what I want to do is always talk to the people who are doing the actual work, uh, look at what's actually happening right now, uh, ask about the purpose of that activity. It is amazing how confusing, how confused people get about their purpose. Look at each step in the process. And then as you talk with the people, you begin to see whether they are engaged or not, whether they have a way to deal with the problems in their lives or not, whether they are being trained in a way that will make them more and more able to create a better process or not, and whether there is, as that happens, a process of creating the next generation of process managers uh, or not. Uh, unfortunately, in today's world, in most processes where I take a walk, the the not part uh, is stronger than the uh, doing it part. Uh, a lot of earnest intent, uh, people saying they want to do things in a better way, but then you look at what's actually happening and there's no stability. It's really out of control. There's confusion about purpose. The ability to countermeasure things. By the way, I've tried to break myself of saying solving problems. I just say countermeasure them. Uh, you don't see much of that going on effectively. So by the time you get to the end, uh, you can be pretty sure, and this is based on many years of experience, that what you've seen is probably indicative of what's going on throughout the entire organization. You don't have to go look at everything. If you look hard at one thing, starting at the bottom with the work and then back off to see what the managers are doing and then look at the purpose from the customer standpoint and look at how engaged the people are, Uh, you just learn an enormous amount about an organization's ability to create value. And it seems to me like every senior manager ought to be able to do this, every mid-level manager ought to be able to do this, and every frontline manager uh, would have need to uh, take a walk fairly frequently to see exactly how things are going. Uh, That's how it would seem to me. That's not always how it is. Now, reflecting back on these different gimbal walks you've done personally and these value streams you've walked, were there any that were you know, kind of you know, surprising in a, you know, a delightful way or any that were just sort of you know, that stand out as being you know, sort of a, a strange and unusual value stream to be looking at? Well, certainly in terms of strange and unusual, I was looking at the sort of remains of a value stream when I went out to Highland Park, which is the Henry Ford plant that uh, really made modern production possible. All of it was really pioneered at Highland Park between 1908 and 1914. That's uh, in the uh, hopeless town of Highland Park, Michigan, and I don't say that to offend any residents because I think at this point there hardly are any residents. Uh, actually, the most striking example in the U.S. of industrial failure. But uh, between 1908 and 1915, uh, it was the most creative site uh, probably in the history of industry. 
in terms of rethinking product development, rethinking production, rethinking supplier relations. And uh, so I went, uh, gosh, I guess for the first time, about 10 years ago, went out to take a look. And it's like the Neutron Bomb Building. The building is still there. It's standing. It's a, an amazing building, really the first truly modern factory. And it's empty. And it has uh, a few uh, records stored in it and some old uh, pieces of cars for various reasons stored in it. But otherwise, it just sits there in an empty town with uh, one employee sitting down at the front door reading the newspaper. Uh, and if you can figure out how to get in, which takes a lot of work, uh, it is amazing to think that this is where the assembly line was first uh, perfected. It's where cellular uh, manufacturing, because uh, Henry really was uh, doing things themselves, even had a crude pull system, and it was all right there. And it worked uh, brilliantly, made Henry the world's, excuse me, the world's richest man, uh, the most successful company. And then most of us just forgot about it. And so it's the, the brilliant process that time forgot. And just to go through there, um, it's not often I feel I'm absolutely, you know, at one with history. But there it was. This uh, sort of felt like I was uh, had gone back a uh, century. And uh, here I could see the creation. So that's one uh, interesting thing, very uh, sort of sad thing to see what happened. Uh, I've had lots of others. Uh, the ones that are most haunting uh, are in healthcare that uh, you do go into operating rooms and you go into all kinds of places where you see people working incredibly hard in very difficult conditions right at the edge of science, uh, in many cases with processes completely out of control and with a striking lack of effective management uh, and literally holding people's lives in their hands. And uh, when I do that, I must say I always... Uh, feel pretty humble that uh, those of us who came out of a manufacturing background, uh, you know, uh, car parts and people um, are not the same thing in terms of the responsibility you feel as you're standing there. Now, I, I know you've walked the Gemba many times with, with our, our friend John Toussaint up there at ThetaCare. And in, in the book, one of your epilogues or you know, additional content around an e-letter about ThetaCare, you say, you wrote that we're still in the early days of lean healthcare. So I was wondering if you could share some you know, additional reflections on if these are early days. Where, where do you think this is headed? Uh, you know, compared to maybe a similar phase in manufacturing's adoption of lean thinking. We'll be right back after this special offer from Kinexus. Are you struggling to keep your employees engaged and motivated? Having engaged employees can be a challenge, but it's crucial for the success of any organization. That's why Kinex has created a free ebook, The Savvy Leader's Guide to Employee Engagement. It's packed with practical tips and strategies to help you boost employee engagement and drive results. So if you're ready to start making a positive change in your workplace, go to kinexus.com/engage to download your copy of the ebook today. And now, back to the episode. We'll be right back after this. Are you trying but struggling to write your first book? I have a guy who will help, Mike Ulmer. He's been a guest with me on the My Favorite Mistake podcast. He will interview you, look at other books in your category, and lay out a precise plan for you to follow to create your book. Using Mike's custom blueprint and some innovative tools, you can create a version of your book in a matter of hours. To start on your author journey, call or text Mike right now at 1-844-I-WRITE-2. That's the letter I write, as in writing a book, Two, the number two, one eight four four. I write two. 
You know, well, first off, Theta Care is less early than a lot of other folks. Sure. Uh, so I admire what they've been able to do. The things that strike against you in healthcare are that while our kind of image of it is science, scientific medicine, uh, it actually is sort of the most craft-focused business there is. That you see doctors doing things because their teacher, you know, Larry or Biff or Sally, back when they were a resident, taught them to do it that way. And then you'll see a doctor doing the exact uh, or treating the exact same condition at the patient in the next bed and doing something totally different. And then you say, well, docs, why are you doing this in a different way? And they both will tell you they were trained by the best uh, sensei, as we would say in lean, but the best uh, master doctor that there ever was, and so they do it the way they were taught. And then you say, well, gee, do you have any outcomes data? And uh, it's like you've uh, just uh, said something really awful um, because it turns out mostly they don't. So that's quite striking to get started. Uh, How can you have repeatability when you don't even know what the results are? Uh, how can you have a method that really is just uh, basically unwritten craft that uh, is uh, called science and scientific medicine? And then a management system in healthcare that uh, really is uh, just um, very disconnected from the actual value being created. And it's not surprising that if you think of the doctors as the most uh, skilled people in the organization, and they're the touch labor. They're at the very bottom in terms of where the value is created, they're creating it, but they also think they should be managing it from the top, and I understand uh, how they would feel that way, but it turns out that it's hard to be both the touch labor, just looking at one point, your particular activity, without any reference to how the whole process works, and without any uh, either desire to manage from the top or any patience for those uh, patients, I use, you understand, in a different way, um, that any any willingness to work with the managers that are trying to manage it. So then you get the nurses, bless them, who are the only folks in the system who think about process. They've got to get the patient through the system, but they've never been given any training in how to do that. They're just doing it the way they learned from whoever did it before them, and they get no respect for it. And then these days you have managers that are MBAs and have been told you've got to cut costs, and of course uh, the first thing that comes to mind is to sweat assets which is to say let's get everything more highly scheduled and get people to work harder uh, because they have no feel for the gimbal. Uh, they really don't know much about how you actually create value uh, right at the bedside. So you have this crazy management system of senior managers who don't really know how you create value, of the people who most directly are creating value who don't want to be part of management, and then the poor nurses in the middle who are trying to square the circle. So no wonder uh, this is a very difficult area to make progress but hey, let's look at the bright side that uh, this patient, healthcare, is very sick. Uh, fortunately, the patient knows it's very sick and knows also that things are going to get a whole lot worse now as uh, governments, not just in the U.S., but in most uh, countries, run out of money. So there is, I think, for the first time, uh, what I'm seeing is the widespread acceptance of the fact that things are really going to change. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean they're going to get better. Because if you don't do something about the management system and trying to get the processes to work, well, then the only way out of the current cost deal is denial of care, rationing, uh, price controls, whatever. Uh, the, the default is a pretty ugly one. So, therefore, uh, the uh, people who've really got their head in the game are saying, well, wait a minute, maybe we have to rethink everything from the top here. 
and in particular, how we actually create value in healthcare. So without that willingness to do that, I would say the situation is hopeless. Uh, instead, I will say the uh, situation is fraught with potential, with positive potential, but we don't yet know uh, how effective uh, the lean thinkers are going to be in trying to find a way to get better outcomes for the patient, better quality experience for both patient and staff, with less cost, with less time. Uh, we just don't know how effective we're going to be. But I will say that uh, our lean thinking is uh, really probably the only drug left in the arsenal uh, between um, what we got right now that's not sustainable and a, a sort of grim scene where it's basically just decontenting, taking things out, denying, saying no, and uh, making the experience of both staff and patients worse. Now, one thing you said that really resonated at the uh, Lean Transformation Summit recently, um, you made a comment that CEOs should not start a quote-unquote lean program, but rather, you know, be the first to change their own thinking. So, I mean, do, yeah. do, do you, do uh, it seemed like that would apply to healthcare just as well as it would across yeah. industries. Can, can yeah. you share, you know, a few more thoughts on that theme? Sure. Well, gosh, I just shudder all over when I hear about a program. Somebody calls me up. I just got a call from an airline. Uh, said they're going to have a lean program. I said, thank you very much. Goodbye. Uh, because the history of programs is that they are done by staff people uh, on a budget uh, with some clear uh, stretch goals, which uh, probably will be met if uh, you put up goals like that and you have no idea what's really going on at the top. Well, it's likely that people, you know, well-intentioned people in the middle or toward the bottom on the staff side will find some way to make it look like you're making some progress. But what everyone will really know is that even if progress is made, it's not sustainable because there's a mismatch between process thinking uh, implemented by an outside uh, consultant or an inside team and what uh, real managers do every day. So this battle is won or lost, this war is won or lost, on whether we can change the behavior of senior managers, middle managers, you know, junior managers. But uh, I say the most effective thing is for the senior managers uh, to go out, take a walk, look at how their organization actually creates value before they start talking about programs and stretch goals and ask what it is they do that uh, most senior managers, when they do go out, think that their job is to solve problems, which is completely impossible because they don't know anything and they're way, way away from the problems. And then failing that, they think uh, their job is to shout and scream and uh, to make threats and to uh, demand, um, you know, amazing feats with, again, out knowing how the system works or what would really have to change to make those possible. So the world would be a better place uh, if every senior manager had some ability just to go take a look at reality, uh, to understand it, and to understand how there is often a misfit between the needs of the process remembering that processes run horizontally across organizations to the customer to create value, and the vertical, which is the way all organizations are put together. So there's that disconnect. It's just right there. It's the most fundamental issue in management is how to think horizontally in an inherently vertical organization. And that requires a lot of change in the way that managers think, but also forget the thinking, what they do. Doing is what's really important, not thinking. Well, Jim, thanks for taking time to talk about uh, the new book, Gimbal Walks, and, and for expanding on you know, some of the themes around Gimbal Walks in general and, and some of the stories and, and concepts that are there in the book. I really appreciate sure. you taking time to do that. Sure. Look, uh, hey, just final thing. I'm not through walking. 
Uh, you were asking uh, what I'm going to do. Well, I need to be an editorial director, and I need to help with some other things around uh, LEI. But uh, what I love to do most and what I think uh, is probably the most useful is to continue to go see things. So I expect uh, to be walking. I set a goal for myself of I kind of like to visit an organization a week. And uh, here in the first uh, 10 weeks of uh, 2011, I've done that. So uh, that's uh, when you ask what I really want to do and what I'm going to be doing. Uh, I'm going to be out walking. And I hope I see lots of uh, members of the lean community out walking as well. And maybe we can uh, walk together and uh, get to a better destination. Now, is there uh, a lean bat signal of sorts that people can shine up into the sky if they'd like you to come <laughs> walk their gemba with them? Well, I, I hadn't been looking for those, but a bat signals. Well, I'm going to have to go Google bat signals. But, um, yeah, look, uh, if anyone uh, calls LEI, uh, we can talk. Uh, this is not a uh, consulting business. This is an educational business. Uh, just uh, sort of um, teach by example, uh, get some people together, go take a look. Uh, what you always find at the end of a walk is that your baby is really ugly. And by the way, it's not anybody's fault. Uh, the problem is that the process horizontally and the organization vertically are not aligned. And so then the question uh, as I leave is what do you plan to do about that? Because you could do something about it, and if you do, you will get uh, a much better result. If you don't, uh, best of luck, you'll probably just go from program to program. So I'm available if anybody wants to uh, take a walk. Uh, my favorite thing to do, uh, just give a shout, and uh, we'll see what we find. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Jim. Sure. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.